You're listening to recorded elements from the first Cyflex screening of 2022, The Martian. The event was held at Belgrave Cinema on the 24th of Feb and featured lectures and a Q&A session with doctors Chris Guppy and Richard Flavel. You'll be basically familiar with, with the plot. That's good. I'm not going to ruin the movie in any way. Um, I'm a big fan of the movie. I have seen the movie probably 20 times. I think it's awesome. I've read the book probably two or three times. Uh, it's even better. It's even better? The yeah. mo- How many of you have read the book? Oh, yes. okay, yep. So, so it is just fantastic. It's a, it's a, it's a one-read one read night book for, for science geeks. The bad news about The Martian is, well, the good news is it's an excellent movie. Uh, it's really entertaining. Uh, it's got just the right amount of tension. I really enjoy it. I'm not here to sledge the movie. The bad news is Mark Watney is dead 500 times over, okay? So there is just literally no way that he has grown potatoes on Mars uh, in any of the ways. Like, we'll, we'll, we'll do some of it in the Q&A, but my, my interest was piqued. I'm a, I'm a phosphorus soil chemist. And one of the things about when you put phosphorus fertilizer onto soil it, it has a real tendency to react very strongly with the soil and bind itself tightly to the soil, which means that plants have to have lots of really neat tricks to be able to get the phosphorus fertilizer that you've just put out back from the soil so that they can grow. And phosphorus is an absolutely essential nutrient, there are 17 of them, for growing plants and growing potatoes. And potatoes in particular are a species that are pretty poor at acquiring phosphorus. They actually need help from the soil microflora, particularly fungi, mycorrhiza, to acquire that phosphorus. So the first question I had when I first watched the movie, probably, no, actually the fifth time I watched the movie, I was thinking, Mars is called the red planet. It's called the red planet because there's heaps of iron there and... Iron has a passionate Romeo and Juliet love affair with phosphorus. You put phosphorus and iron together and they covalently bond almost instantaneously such that if you were to put 100 units of phosphorus out, 99 of them would be sucked onto the soil almost instantly. And so I'm thinking, hang on a minute, potatoes are really rubbish at acquiring phosphorus. And Mark Watney's literally got a handful of poo and shoved it in the ground And then, problem solved. solved. (laughs) Suddenly he's fertilized these potato plants. And I'm thinking, it's the red planet. There's no phosphorus availability. So the first problem I saw as a soil scientist was those potato plants would probably be about the size of these microphones, dark purple, stunted, and yellow. And that's not even before we get to the agronomy of growing potatoes on Mars. Just the amount of nutrition in a handful of poo and the size of his potatoes when we first see them, they, they don't match up. That's very unfortunate. The other, the other main problem is when you go and you have a look at scans of Martian soil, and I think it's really quite typical that the first thing that scientists do when they get to Mars is do a soil test. How important is soil, really? That's, it's like the thing. But when they tested the soil... One thing you'll notice about the soil is that it looks on the movie like it's a nice, sandy, red, beautiful, 
textured soil. But when you look at the rover footprints from any footage of Mars, the red is only about an inch thick and underneath it is enormous amounts of either grey or white salt or powder. The soil is grey underneath and there's white salt through there. One of those salts is a compound called perchlorate. And perchlorate, I can tell you, is not an essential nutrient for plants. Perchlorate kills plants stone dead pretty much instantaneously. So unless there's a part of the movie that we didn't see where he went and washed all of the perchlorate out of the Martian soil before he planted his potatoes, not only are the potatoes dead from perchlorate toxicity, he's probably dead from breathing the perchlorate fumes that would have been generated when he made his water and wet up that soil. But I can keep on going literally like this for the entire length of the movie. But but I'll hand over to Richard and he'll tell you just how unlikely it is. The short, the short, really short, short version um, because I am conscious of the time. Um, and Chris can do this, don't worry. We've spent long hours in the office actually spitballing this stuff out. Um, there's light and there's water uh, that are major, major constraints uh, for actually pulling this stuff off. Uh, Mars is further away from the Earth, from the sun than Earth is, uh, and so it doesn't have as much light as what what we do. Um, it's about sixty percent as much light, but they also don't have an atmosphere, so they get heaps of radiation. So these plants, as they came out of the ground, they would have got this high, and they would have turned upside down and inside out because of the cancers that they were growing, because they were getting so irradiated sitting on the surface of Mars. So that's one problem. Uh, the second one is the water that we, we played with, and I'll, I'll give you a bit of a heads up. Mark's uh, maths on the soil physics is absolutely rubbish. Um, he's only out by a factor, by an order of magnitude um, on, on his, on his or water calculations for how much he needs to grow stuff. Um, so we can talk about it later, but um, yeah, there's some major, major big flaws in it. But it's awesome. It does what it's said on the packet. Um, this is a great movie. It's really entertaining. And there's just enough science to go, yeah, that might work. Um, until you look a little bit closer. But anyway, it's all good. It, it, please enjoy. Yeah. The audience then proceeded to watch the movie, and we are now going to skip forward to a Q&A session held at the end of the event. Uh, okay, so um, yeah, are there any questions? Or, or should I hand over to the agronomist and he can tell you all about the main reason why you can't actually grow plants on Mars on the surface? Okay, we can do that. I, f I feel really bad like after such a great event going, you know what, it's all wrong. But anyway, <laughs> let's, let's do this. Okay, so um, uh, plants need a whole bunch of light. They, the, the really, really cool thing about plants and the reason why they're green is that they turn... Uh, carbon dioxide out of the air and it's really trace amounts of carbon dioxide in our atmosphere. Um, they use a bit of light, they use 10.37 photons of light to convert that through to a carbon chain that we can then use as fuel. Um, and that's essentially what Mark Watney needed to do. He needed to convert a whole bunch of light, a little bit of carbon dioxide into something that he can use as fuel for him. Um, and so that's, that's the way it works. Now, plants, typically, they need about 100 times more light than we need to read um, to be able to do that. They need a buttload of energy. <laughs> okay. It's being recorded, Richard. Yeah, sorry. They need a lot of energy to, to make it all, all work. So the problem that we've got is uh, on Mars, we've got 60% as much light as what we have here and what plants are built for. Um, and so they need a lot longer to accumulate 
that energy, um, to incorporate that energy. Um, but one thing that we do have on this planet, and it's really, really critical, uh, is we have an atmosphere that filters out all the nasty radiation and just leaves us with the stuff, mostly just the stuff that we can use. The reason we get sunburnt is because we get radiation um, coming through, sneaking through, um, but that's a thousand, thousand times more uh, on Mars. So there's a bit of a problem there. So what we've got to do if we were going to grow plants on Mars, we need to take the bad radiation out and just leave the light that the plants can use. All right, so if you get back of the envelope style, we, we go and do a little bit of maths um, to figure out how much area you'd need. If it was on Earth, you would need 100 square meters worth of plants to grow for one person, so per person. Now, now, Mark Watney, uh, on his back of the envelope maths, he had 125, so that's a good start, no problems. Uh, no problems there. But what we need is that to be underground so that it is sheltered and shaded from all of the bad radiation. So now we have a problem with actually transferring some light that we can capture downstairs. Now, the first thing you guys are thinking, because I know you're all over it, is, right, we'll, we'll throw some solar panels out, right? And then we'll put some um, glasshouse lights underneath the ground and we're all good. The trouble with that is that that whole system is about 7% efficient. So if we do the maths in winter on Mars, you would need 1,500 square meters of solar panels to grow enough food for one person. All right, that's, that's a little bit out there. In summer, it's slightly better because the days are a little bit longer, just like ours. Um, it, it's slightly better. We get down to 500 square meters of solar panels, but it's still an awful lot. That's per person. Okay, so that's a little bit out there. There is a better option. Uh, the better option is actually to go and get 300 square meters uh, of parabolic lenses, of mirrors. That's a lot of weight like to take up there, but 300 square meters of parabolic lenses. We focus that all down onto some fiber optic cables. We run those fiber optic cables underground and that's about 70% efficient. So that is going to grow us with 100 square meters worth of plants we can just get enough to keep people alive per person. All right, so the numbers don't quite stack up for a space flight. Um, you, he's dead multiple times. Yeah, yeah, kind there's, of. There's a question. You can cheat. We, we, we could build a nuclear power plant, generate enough power. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's a reactor, but that's a reactor. What he can't do is turn that into electrical energy. Yeah, you can. So we do that with Peltier cells at the moment. Um, that, that totally works. So if we've got a, a temperature gradient, we can generate that. Um, unfortunately, that is, that is very, very, very much less efficient than solar panels. So the energy conversion ratios are just not quite there. Having said that, you, you're absolutely right. We could generate power with nuclear energy um, and then turn that into light. Um, sure. Yeah, we're still going to need 100 square meters worth of plants per person to do it. Uh, that, that's, a, that's a given. The other challenge that we've got, we also need 240 liters of water per person per day. All right. Now, we can, we can cycle that. And so that, you know, we can re recycle that, spin that around and around and around. A little bit like Mike Watney did, but there's a few holes in that system too. But um, he had 200 liters worth of water total. Um, and so when we turn hydrazine into water, so that's kind of cool. Um, but one of the big challenges from the water side of things is the amount of dirt, and I did, I did actually, um, this is how nerdy I am, I did do the back of the envelope maths on, how, on his setup, on how much soil he had. Um, he actually needed 7,500 litres of water 
just to get those plants up to the point that they could draw water out of the soil he took. Um, at the moment, it's sitting what we call below permanent wilting point. And so all of those plants couldn't actually access the water that he had uh, to grow them in. So there's a, there's a couple of little holes, but I, I sort of feel like I'm raining on a parade. It is a kind of a cool system. Um, what we are actually doing in the science, in, in trying to grow crops in space, um, there's a whole bunch of people playing around with this in, uh, in zero G. Uh, they tend to be growing really, really short-term crops. Um, think wheatgrass, only a little bit more. Um, they have grown, uh, they've grown radish up there. Um, they have tried, there's guys that have tried to grow radish in Martian-like soil. So they've, they've kind of built a facsimile on Earth. It didn't end well, I'll give you the tip. Um, for all of the reasons that Chris, Chris talked about earlier. Um, but yeah, so, there's, so we are trying to grow stuff in space. It is really interesting. Um, when you take gravity away, they tend to... Like, so I'm talking about in space now, not necessarily on Mars. Um, when you take gravity away, they tend to get really confused because there's a gravitropism to figure out which way the roots go and which way the shoots go. That kind of gets messed up, so they look a bit odd. Um, and they also change their protein content. So there's a whole bunch of interesting stuff as to whether growing stuff in space will actually get us to the same point as it does on Earth. So anyway, I'm, I feel like I'm nerding out here. Is there an excellent question? Would hydroponics work? It's one of the things that, we, that, that people are playing with. Um, there is a few challenges. As you go to a zero-G environment, um, hydroponics don't quite work. Um, what, what tends to happen with water, and there's some awesome videos of astronauts playing with that in space, the surface tension of water actually makes a film over whatever it's coating. So if you pour a bucket of water on your hand, it actually makes a glove out of water. Um, so it's the way water works uh, in space in zero G. Uh, when you go to a hydroponic system, the roots have real trouble breathing through the water. Um, and so you actually have to then put them back into something that looks like soil. Um, so that it allows pathways of, of water, uh, of air and water to access the roots. So roots need to respire as well, so they need oxygen, and to be able to diffuse the oxygen through the roots so that they can stay alive. Um, we actually need a, a matrix, and so we end up using things like zeolite. Um, so it, it's kind of mimics soil, um, but it's an artificial system, a whole bunch of charge on it. Um, so yeah, hydroponics are an option, um, but we have to sort of tweak it a little bit. They need to be in a medium to make it come off in zero G. Uh, so great question. Um, yeah, look, that is, that is an option and, and um, you wouldn't necessarily, I mean, Mark wasn't kitted up for hydroponics, but that's where we'd be going. Yeah, absolutely. You still, you still need the light though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's still a thing. <laughs> the next question asked was, is poop all that's needed to fertilize soil? Yeah, uh, we, don't, we don't often use biosolids is what they're called um, on Earth. It's really awkward writing poo in papers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, there are moves for broadacre systems to use our own poo as a nutrient source. Um, it's not ideal uh, simply because human, human metabolism, human guts are pretty good at filtering out all of the nasty metals and stuff that you might be eating. And so if you then excrete that and then put that in the soil, you're kind of concentrating that up so pig manure human manure not so good um cattle and horses okay uh the amount of nutrient that is in his little handful of poo that he stuck in mars there's no way that there was enough nutrients there at all to grow the potato plants that he was 
generating. The question then becomes, what is the nutrient status of the Martian soil to be able to do that? There's heaps and heaps of nitrogen. So it's, it's riddled with ammonia. Um, it's riddled with all sorts of other things as well, unfortunately. But there's enough nitrogen there. The phosphorus would be pretty much locked up and unavailable. And so you've got to work out some way to mobilize that phosphorus. Uh, and as I said, there's, there's actually a fair bit of salt in the regolith. It's not actually soil. Like they call it Martian soil, but as a soil scientist, one of the definitions of soil is that it has organic matter um, and there's no organic matter in Mars. It's basically pulverized rock. So as a, a really geologist, it w geologist is good, but... Um, there's a really little bit of organic matter now where Mark was. There was a little bit of organic matter where he hung out, that's right, and then blew it out and tipped it on the ground. So it, it's a challenge that... Our host, Marissa Betts, then asked, he could have composted his food scraps. Would that have worked better? He, he, he ate all the food. Um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not so sure. The, the fascinating thing is that the point that he was using, and this is something Richard and I discussed the other day, he was using vacuum-sealed potatoes. They're, they're, they're long dead. They're <laughs> dead, dead. If you, if, you put, if you put seeds in a vacuum for long enough, they don't germinate because even the little embryos need a little bit of oxygen and the whole point of vacuum sealing is to remove the oxygen. So he took dead potatoes up there and somehow brought them back to life. It's a, it's, it is Lazarus potatoes. Um, Somebody from the audience then asked, there is a fairly big difference between solidity, between Martian soil and Earth soil. How forgiving would it be to grow something on Mars? So, so the question was around the pH of Martian regolith rather than, rather than Martian soil. Um, and yes, it's really quite alkaline. It's up above eight and a half, nine. And so that means most of the micronutrient, the cation micronutrients in that type of system are pretty much unavailable to plants. He would have, he would have been needing to foliarly apply the micronutrients to have them in a high enough availability at a pH of nine. Um, I reckon calcium would be a limitation as well. And calcium would be a limitation. And it would be locked, cell walls. It'd be locked up in the perchlorates and the sulfates that are that are there so um the thing about martian regolith is it's pretty much been in stasis for three and a half billion years so no, nothing has really changed the water has been gone for that long so it's it's literally archaeological yeah. material um and it's not changing so there are all sorts of other interesting observations that <laughs> that you could make there. But micronutrients, they would be severely limited. The pH that we need in soil on Earth is pretty much between five and eight and a half. When it goes above that, micronutrients become available. And below that, aluminium destroys the roots usually. So, but that's soil 222 for those that want to go to uni, so. Somebody from the audience then asked about the bacterial activity in the soil. The stuff in the poo wouldn't be the right stuff, would it? No, like I said, potatoes need mycorrhizae 
and A, the potatoes were dead to start with and B, there certainly wasn't any mycorrhizae on those potatoes that he chopped up and buried. And really the only safe environment for the root system would have been in that little handful of poo. Um, and the likelihood that the organisms in human poo match with the organisms that need to colonise a rhizosphere to enable plant growth being the same organisms is vanishingly small. And the moment those organisms then come in contact with Martian soil, uh, which they're not adapted to in any way, they're pretty much dead too. So I don't, I don't want to let you know, but Mark's dead multiple times over. So I, I think... I did ask my wife, who's a doctor, whether the antenna would have killed him and whether it would have all... And that's actually legit. She thinks he would have survived that. So that's the medical opinion. So there's one part, there's one part that's correct. So the, the agronomy in the soil science is not. So Our final question for the night was then, would there have been any other choice of crop that could have worked with Martian soil and poop? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, the only thing that they've managed, like they do test whether there are any organisms that can live in space and Mars with such a thin atmosphere is basically space. Uh, they have tardigrades. I don't know if you've heard of tardigrades. You can't really farm them. Um, they have actually stuck lichen on the outside of the International Space Station uh, and exposed it to the full temperature range, minus 170 degrees to plus 170 degrees. And then they pulled their little lichen panel in, put it in a container and brought it back down to earth to um, see if it would live. Uh, and within, I think it was four hours of uh, bringing it back to earth and letting it have some water, it, it, it was alive again. So part of the reason it could do that was you put it in a vacuum in space and all of the water got immediately sucked out of everything. And so for the radiation damage to kick in and start damaging DNA and mutating, and you actually have to have water in the cell. And because it desiccated so completely and so instantly, the moment you re the, the radiation didn't do any damage. And so if there was going to be any life on Mars at all, I don't think it's going to be bacteria. I think it's going to be a lichen, which means you need a double event evolutionarily to allow that to happen because I'm pretty sure the bacteria, without the protection of the fungi, it's dead. So um, if Either we could... Way, it sounds delicious. It sounds delicious. If you, could, <laughs> if you could eat lichen, then you could probably grow lichen on Mars, but I don't think there's any other plants that would survive the toxic conditions of the soil. Certainly not produce enough to, um, to, to eat. No. Yeah. No, that'd be pretty tough. It'd be kind of like eating Western Australian heathland scrub. I don't know. It'd be delicious. Yeah. And that was the end of our Cyflix event. A thank you to Dr. Chris Gubby and Richard Flavelle. And make sure to join us next time for Finding Nemo on at the Belgrave Cinema.